Isaiah chapter 9, if you would uh, join me there. And, and I, uh, I made fun, but honestly, one of my favorite services of the entire year is next Sunday. Uh, 10.30, one service. That's where we kind of um, bring our entire church family together in one room and just give everybody a chance to have a, a great family Christmas service together. We go so hard through Scrooge and our outreach during this time of year. That's our time to rest and to minister to the church family. So love to have you join us for that service. It'll be uh, a really good service. If you're here at 9 o'clock, rapture hasn't come, uh, hang around or go get breakfast and come back at 1030. Uh, we'll all be here then. All right, Isaiah 9. How many of you, now this is not a trick question, I have to preface it. How many of you have or at one time had a dad? It's not a trick question, I promise. I'm just trying to make sure who's in the room. All right, we got 98%. Let's try it one more time. See, how can I say this? How many of you have now in the present or, or have ever had a dad? Okay, all right, all right, good, all right, good. I can see we're all together now. The reason that that's important is because our perception of our earthly father becomes our projection of our heavenly father. In other words, let me say it this way. How you see your dad is how you see God. And until something comes along and challenges or changes that, you'll basically see God the way you saw your dad all your life. Now, for some of you, the word father is a, is a tough word. And it leaves you feeling this morning like with a bad taste in your mouth. For other people, the word father is a very comforting uh, word and concept. When we're young, our perceptions are being formed and we tend to learn through association. So we understand a new thing as a child. We understand a new thing by associating it with something that we already know about. So a child understands what the world's like by associating the world with what that child's family is like. Is the world filled with opportunity or limitation? Well, that's going to be decided by, is my family filled with limitation or opportunity? They're going to tend to see, we're going to tend to see the world through the lens of our family. Can people be trusted? Could the people in my family be trusted? Am I likely to succeed or fail? Is my family a success or a failure? So, so much of our perceptions about those things are defined by association with our family. So, our brains are hardwired with these perceptions early on. These perceptions become the operating system of our lives. In other words, our attitudes and our decisions and our beliefs are built on those perceptions. Some of those perceptions are right and some of those perceptions are certainly wrong. And too often the wrong perceptions aren't changed because they're so fundamental to who we are, it's more of an unconscious emotional knowledge than it is uh, intellectual property. It's so, it's so fundamental to our identity. In other words, we've never believed anything different. We've always believed that. So we don't even know it's there. It's an assumption. Now after years of life has been layered upon layer upon layer upon layer of that belief system, it just becomes part of our identity. Since we've looked at life a certain way so long, we even interpret the experiences of our life to confirm those beliefs right or wrong. It's our sort of our paradigm. 
Now, let's see how that might play out then in relationship to our earthly dad in our perception of who God is. So let's say, for example, that your dad was one of those kind of people that was driven and never satisfied. You know, nothing that you could do would ever be good enough. You were never good enough in school. You never made good enough grades. You were never a good enough athlete. You were never a good enough uh, worker. You never did your chores at home. They were never just quite good enough. He seldom affirmed you. Uh, you were never good enough to make him proud. You could never earn his approval. Now, if that was the kind of experience you had with your dad... What kind of person, what kind of God would you believe God to be? So your view of God then would be a God who's unpleasable. You're never able to earn His blessing or His favor. You're never as spiritual as other people because you just don't measure up. I guarantee you that the church today is filled with men who have given up because that's the kind of perception you were given as a child of who God is, and you'll never be able to view yourself as, as spiritual as, any, as somebody else. So since you can't measure up, then you just kind of quit. You concede that your wife is the spiritual leader, your wife is the spiritual one, and although you may admire her relationship with God, you could never have one like that because you and God don't work that way. I guarantee you the church is filled with men who had that kind of experience and their perception of God shapes their relationship with God today and they've given up and sat down and said, well, my wife's the spiritual one, I'm whatever. I'm who I am and they tend to concede that role. And that was a God-given perception given to you by your dad. Now, oftentimes, women who have dads like that they go the other way. They end up just becoming compulsive workaholics that drive and 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 think, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. All your life, you've been almost there. I'm uh, this next, boy, that was good and that was good. And man, I did good that time and my life's almost in order enough and I'm, and I've li I'm living almost the life that will make God happy finally and it never comes. It's chasing a carrot your whole life. Well, then there's the dad who maybe your experience was to grow up with a dad who was angry. Who was angry a lot. Maybe he took things out on you. Maybe he took things out on your family. Whether he was physically or abusive or not, it still shapes your perception. Harsh and mad and accusing and blaming or maybe just angry and mad at the world and blaming anybody else. So your view of God then would be that God's always punishing you. Right? That, that, that this is why things go wrong in your life today. This is why good things aren't happening to you. It was because that person you mistreated when you were in school, or that time you cheated on a test, or that thing that you stole, or the way that you manipulated people for your own good. That's why things are happening bad in your life today, because you're being punished. Because God is a God that's angry at you, He's mad at you, He's holding a grudge against you, and he's never going to let you forget it. So your favorite verse is you reap what you sow. The thing is, you're going to reap the rest of your life. That's the concept of God. Or what about the dad that was just absent? He was never there. Now look, there's all kind of layers of being there or not being there. Maybe he was the dad that was there physically but wasn't there emotionally. Maybe he was in the home, maybe your mom and dad never divorced, but he wasn't there, he was checked out emotionally or checked out spiritually 
or checked out, or maybe he was just physically absent as well. Uh, a young boy who was six years old uh, once asked his dad, Dad, how much, how much money do you make an hour? And he was sitting there watching TV, flipping the remote control. He said, why are you even asking this? He said, well, I was just wondering how much you make. He said, well, I make about $20 an hour. Why? Well, the boy immediately responded. He said, can I borrow $5? He said, no, you can't borrow $5. Go away. I'm watching TV. So a couple hours later, the son cuts through the living room and he says, uh, hey, what was that about $5? Why did you want $5? you need $5? Uh, he said, here, I'll go ahead and give you the $5. He said, is it for school or something? He said, oh, no, 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 sir. He said, I've been saving my money, and I've already saved $15, and all I needed was five more to get 20 so I could buy an hour of your time. The absentee dad just wasn't there. And I've heard... More people than you could imagine, however they say it, whatever words they choose in, that God's not there for me, and if you get to the bottom of it, it's because their dad wasn't there for them. In some compartment or at all. And so, when you have that idea that that's who God is, then, then you begin to think... Where were you, God, when this happened in my life? Why didn't you help with this? God, why were you... I guarantee you, if your father was absent in any regard, I guarantee you, you will at some point in your life struggle with emotions that God is somehow absent. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. He doesn't help. He doesn't respond. He's transcendent. He's far away. Now, these emotions are real. God didn't just make us robots without feelings. But there's a real danger in focusing just on these emotions. We've got to challenge these emotions and perceptions that drive them. See, God's intention is for dads to be a human model of himself. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. And when it doesn't work out that way, we spend years picking the pieces up in our life. So, maybe the best way to think about this this morning, if you're gonna, maybe if you're going to write down something... I'd give you, let me give you a couple of thoughts to write down here. Maybe the best way to think about this concept of God is not, did my dad give me misperceptions of who God is? That's not the question I would focus on. The question I would focus on is, what perceptions about God did my dad give me that were wrong? Because even if your dad was a good dad, he still wasn't perfect, right? He still wasn't God. And so there's something in there that would show you something different than who God is. Now, this is the third week in our series. The first in Isaiah 9, we've been talking about how Isaiah said this is who Jesus is. This is the Jesus that's coming. And we talked about how Jesus was a wonderful counselor. Uh, last week, we talked about how uh, uh, Isaiah said Jesus was going to be a mighty, mighty God. Today, I want to just share a few thoughts with you on how Isaiah said Jesus is everlasting father. Now let me give you this in the Hebrew, everlasting father. It comes from the Hebrew words which means continually and to keep going without an end. Er everlasting. It never stops, never breaks, never gives up, continually. And then the uh, other word for father just simply means father, dad. We pick up in the New Testament, Abba, which means daddy. You've maybe heard the phrase daddy, God. Let me give you a good translation, and this, this, in my opinion, is the thought of the day. 
If I were you, I would write this down and, and soak on it. Let me give you a good translation for Everlasting Father. He will always be what a father should be. Isn't that good? He will always be... What does Everlasting Father mean? He will always be what a father should be. He will always be what a father should be. I've never read a better description of Everlasting Father than what King David wrote in Psalm 103. I want to read it to you out of the New Living Translation. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For His unfailing love toward those who fear Him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to His children, tender and compassionate to those who fear Him. For He knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Now remember, one of the names of Jesus that we focus on during the Christmas season that's my absolute favorite is the name Emmanuel. And let me tell you why Emmanuel is important. Emmanuel is the, is the name that means God with us. So I want you to imagine this for a minute. Whatever misperceptions about God, whatever projections we have about God that we're projecting onto Him that our dads gave us, Jesus came to shatter those. And that's why the Bible tells us He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. This is an everlasting Father that will always be the kind of Father that He should be. And I want to prove it to you. How can God ever prove that to us? By sending His Son, Jesus, to the earth to walk among us and live among us and eat what we eat and walk where we walk and feel what we feel and know what we know. How much closer can God get than that? And so He says, He's a... He's Emmanuel. He came to shatter all of our misunderstandings about who God is. Now imagine if you had an earthly father that, that understood all of that. Imagine if you had an earthly father that functioned that way. So this morning, I just want to quickly give you uh, three perceptions of God that are accurate. Three perceptions of God that we get from Scripture to tell what kind of father he is. What does an everlasting father mean if you want to... Uh, take something out to jot these down. I'd encourage you to do that. Here's the first one. Our Father is wise because He knows what's best. In other words, like a caring and a loving God, our everlasting Father guides us. He's revealed in Scripture so that we might have a secure place to stand. He sees the past and the present and the future all at the same time. And can you imagine having that kind of ability? Uh, there's an ancient tribe in New Zealand. And one of the important duties of the father was to periodically uh, climb to the top of this treacherous mountain and look out from the mountaintop miles and miles and miles and miles away and to see what kind of weather was in store for the family. And one of the titles for father in that tribe was, look at this, the one who can see beyond the mountain. Isn't that cool? That was the title for dad. The one, who, who's that? That's the one who can see beyond the mountain. That's my dad. He can see 
beyond the mountain. He knows the future. He knows what's coming. He knows what storms are right around the corner. If, you, if I could even count how many times I've heard people say, I didn't even know this was happening or going to happen, but when I look back over my life, I can see how God prepared me when I didn't even know I was being prepared. Any of you ever have an experience like that? Look, look, wait, wait, hold it up for a minute. Look, now look around. <laughs> He's a pretty good dad, isn't he? I didn't even know this was going to happen. I didn't even know this was coming into my life. But he knew it, and now that I look back, I was ready for it, but I didn't... I wasn't ready for it because I knew it. I was ready for it because I knew him. He's the one who can see beyond the mountain. This is how Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, 7, and 8. He said, when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Watch this. For your Father knows what you need. When does He know it? Before you ask. He's the one who can see beyond the mountain. Here's the second uh, perception of God that's accurate. Our Father is generous. Not only does He know what's best, He gives what's best. Now think about all the things in our lives that we have that are a blessing. The material blessings, you know, to have a car, to be, to be mobile, to have maybe a, a cell phone, a way to communicate, to have a job, to have uh, food. I mean, I, I, I dare say most of us in the room have never known the experience to not know when you're going to eat again. There may be a few, but very few in the room. Think of the incredible material blessing, but even beyond that, grace and forgiveness and peace and strength and hope and favor and kindness and comfort and health and rest. God has sent His Son the ultimate sacrifice for us, and He gave us forgiveness. What an unbelievable display of grace. Near the, uh, just in the middle of the Great Depression, uh, there was a family, there was a circus who had come to town. And there was a family who had lined up uh, in line to see this circus. There was a dad and his son who had gone to see the circus together. Just in front of them uh, was a, a poor-looking husband and wife, and they're, all their little children were with them. And, man, they were all shined up and excited, and, you know, this was a big outing for them, you could tell. It was in the middle of the Great Depression. To do anything was a big outing for anybody during the Great Depression. And there they were in line, and, you know, he looked all shiny, and she had his arm, and she looked proud of him, and there they were going to be able to do something incredible for their kids. And he gets up to the line, and they said, uh, how many tickets do you need? And he said, uh, two adults and eight children. And he was so proud. It was just seemed like they had saved their money for a long time for this moment. And when the lady said how much it was going to be, he, he leaned forward and he said, excuse me, I'm sorry, how much was that? And when she said the amount, he had misunderstood how much it was, and now he couldn't afford to take his family. And the dad and son that were behind him, the dad saw it, and he said, what am I going to do? So he throws a $20 bill on the ground, he reaches over and picks it up, and he says, hey, sir, I think you must have dropped this. And the guy looked around at him, and he said, he looked him right in the eye, and he knew what was going on. He said, sir, I am so grateful to you. You have no idea what this means to me. And he was able to pay the money and take his eight children in. And the dad and the son left. They didn't have the money to go in the circus then. 
When the son was later recounting that event, he said, you know, we didn't go to the circus that night, but we never went without. So let's this morning just try to get a healthy dose of perspective. Would an unselfish God offer us grace and then abandon us? In other words, are we really tonight when the gospel according to Scrooge comes, is Mark really going to step out in the middle of the play and say, I want to invite you to a relationship with Jesus based on his death and resurrection. He has paid for your forgiveness. He has paid for you to be in relationship with the Father. I want to invite you to that. Come and receive Christ, but after that, you're on your own. Is, is that really what we're going to say? But sometimes you and I get this attitude, we get this perception, we get this thing built up that somehow it's all on us. Why would Jesus so freely offer grace and love and forgiveness at the beginning only to neglect us later? It's like in that moment of salvation we come to this incredible feeling of who God is. We have that revelation of who the Father is, but then His life beats in on us. We back away and say, I don't know. I think I'm on my own now. But that's not how God operates. What I'm saying to you is when those feelings come, they likely come from a misperception of who God is. God gives grace freely, not just so we can go to heaven. He gives grace freely so we can trust Him with our finances when we're afraid. We can trust Him with our family conflict and issues. We can trust Him with our careers. We can trust Him guiding us through life. We can trust Him in trouble. We can trust Him in success. We can trust Him in good times and bad times. So here's the, here's the third and last thought. Our everlasting Father knows what's best gives what's best, and our everlasting Father is loving, He does what's best. One of my favorite Hebrew words in the entire Old Testament is this word loving kindness. Loving kindness is a word in some translations you'll see reappear over and over and over and over through the Old Testament. Now there's a reason for it. In Hebrew, there's no real word for the emotion of love. You know, we oftentimes talk about love in English. Uh, for us, love is a feeling. Love is, a, love is an emotion. Love is something that captures us, that uh, grabs hold to us, that sort of carries us away. It's an emotional concept. It's an emotional definition. In Hebrew, that's not true at all. In Hebrew, loving kindness was the word, and uh, loving kindness wasn't defined as an emotion or a feeling. It was defined as an action. So in other words, love is not something that's spoken. Love is something that showed and lived out and acted upon. So a mother doesn't tell her infant necessarily. She doesn't, she doesn't prove her love to her infant by saying, I love you. She proves her love for her infant by nursing the child and caring for the child and changing the child and bathing the child. And if a mother didn't do that, we would certainly say she doesn't love her child, right? That's the concept. That's the Hebrew concept. So God's uh, God's love was first revealed in the Hebrew word loving kindness. In Jeremiah 3.13, the Bible says this, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with loving kindness. Jesus is called everlasting Father because His love will never end. One of my favorite uh, 
passages in the New Testament on love is Romans 8.35. Listen to this this morning. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's loving kindness. You will never be separated. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, and I just want to close with this story. Um, Mark, who is uh, our uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, has a pastor friend in Atlanta who he and his wife were unable to have children so they adopted um, a little boy from Russia. He was six years old. They adopted him from an orphanage. And when they brought him back to Atlanta, you know, you can imagine the whole process. How complicated. Some of you have uh, been in that process. How complicated it is to adopt and, you know, all that you have to go through and the anticipation and the emotions and everything that's put into it, and finally the child's home in Atlanta with, with the family. Uh, but it wasn't long that things began to unravel. He, he didn't really want to be there. He was very afraid. Uh, and I've heard from several different people, this was also this family's experience, uh, the, the Russian government or whatever in the culture, um, because of the um, agenda against America, it's common folklore and gossip and belief that children are told, don't go to America because, you know, if you go to America, they, they will sacrifice you and they will use your body to give uh, organ transplants and stuff to American children. So they don't really want you. They don't really care about you. So a lot of that fear is sewn in. So this little child being raised in an orphanage and had a terrible life with this fear of Americans in his mind, not really wanting to come, overwhelmed. And so... Because of the breakdown, uh, the couple had to hire a Russian interpreter to try to, you know, help the, help the boy. And through the interpreter, they learned that he had suffered a lot of abuse, even at that age, in an orphanage. And um, had really never been shown any kind of love of any kind, except once a year. Once a year, the Russian Orthodox priest would come around to the orphanage and would uh, come and meet the kids. And he would bring clothes and shoes, and listen to this, and he would hug every kid. So that child, all his life, had only known abuse except for one hug a year. And can you imagine? I mean, how many times? I, I, I don't even know how many times I hug my kids a, a week, let alone a year. And can you imagine a child that's known one hug a year, what it would do to them? And this little priest was known as the priest of the poor. That's what the orphans called him. Well, one winter day in Atlanta, the little boy caught his dad, who was a pastor, preparing warm clothes and blankets to give to a homeless man that had come by the church for help. And suddenly, the little boy jumped up and ran to the interpreter, and he was asking him in Russian, tell me, tell me, tell me, is my father the priest of the poor? And the interpreter realized what was happening and he said, yes, your father is the priest of the poor. He's the one who 
hugs and touches and doesn't abuse and loves and gives clothes and gives shoes and helps. And the little boy ran for the first time and jumped into his father's arms, crying and hugging and kissing him. And from that day forward, everything was different. What was the difference? Get this. It was his perception of his father. It all depends on who your dad is. Doesn't it? And so, this morning I wanted to pray with you. And I I want to just ask you to stand with me. Sometimes, Sometimes when we pray, you know, I'm concerned that... I don't want the prayer team to come or anything. I just want to pray with everybody. And sometimes when we pray, I'm concerned that maybe you think, you know, well, I'll pray later, or I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable going to someone else for prayer. I'm not at that point in my life yet. Or, or maybe you, you may think, you know, that's for somebody else. You know, one of the reasons that we gather together on Sundays to pray, Right? I mean, we don't just come to worship. We don't just come to give. We don't just come to hear the Word taught. We come to pray, right? That's your relationship with the Father. And so this morning, I don't want to give the opportunity to miss anybody. So I just want to pray with everybody. Now, we're not going to do this one at a time or nothing. But I want to invite you to pray with me, okay? Uh, and if you close your eyes, everybody in the room, whether you're a prayer team member or a pastor or an usher or maybe this is your very first time to ever be in our church. It doesn't matter. Whoever you are, I want to pray with you. And here's the question that I've been praying. Here's the thing I've been praying over you today. That whatever perceptions of God that you got from your dad that were wrong, that they would surface today. Doesn't mean your dad's a bad guy. Doesn't mean my dad's a bad guy doesn't mean he wasn't a good man. It doesn't mean he didn't try with all he had. It just means that he wasn't God and neither am I and neither are you. And it means that something we've inherited that that shapes our belief about God today is just not accurate. So I want to just ask you, Holy Spirit, this morning, would you surface right now as we pray? God, would you bring to the top? Would you bring to the surface? What is that? Do we see you as angry or distant or frustrated or separated? Or do we see you as judgmental? Do we see you as unpleasable? God, I pray you would just bring to the surface this morning. Look, whatever's stirring in your heart, would you just begin to pray that out this morning? Lord, we want to meet you in prayer today. God, I ask you today that you would begin to shift. And I ask you for a revelation of God, the Father that's right, that's true. Come on, would you just pray that with me? Say, Lord, show me who you are. Ask him right now. Lord, show me who you are. Show me where I misunderstand and show me who you are. This morning, give me a revelation of God that's true. Come on, just pray that your own way. God, give me a revelation of you that's true. Give me a revelation of your love. Give me a revelation of forgiveness and grace and peace. Give me a revelation of the God who sees beyond the mountain. Give me a revelation this morning of a God who is present and here and not far away. You are the God who knows best. Lord, show me this morning. Show me this morning. Show me today. God, I pray for the one who's come in 
working, 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 trying to please you. God, show yourself today as the one that is already pleased. Because of what your son Jesus did on the cross, you are fully pleased with us. Every every requirement has been met in Christ Jesus. We hide today in the shed blood of Christ. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today. One more time, would you just? I'm going to ask you just to repeat this prayer for me. Lord Jesus, teach me and show me who the everlasting Father is. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.